Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured and inspired also you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips you really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years welcome back to the 125th episode of power your parenting moms of teens podcast i'm colleen o'grady the host of the show Today, we're going to talk about a difficult subject, teens and pornography. You do your best to protect your teens, but I've talked to middle school girls who innocently Googled something like Barbie and was sent to a porn site. Pornography is just so accessible to our teens. And teens are especially vulnerable to pornography addiction for the same reason they are vulnerable to alcohol and drug addiction because of where their brains are developmentally. I brought on an expert who can help us navigate these dangerous waters and show us how to communicate with our teens about this difficult topic. Christopher Beaker has provided individual and group therapy to patients struggling with addiction and co-occurring mental health disorders. He is experienced in providing counseling services for parents, couples, and families. Since 2012, Christopher has studied, practiced, and taught yoga. He is the author of Break Free of Chains, How to Help Your Child Recover from Pornography Addiction, uh, which was recently published. All right, so welcome, Christopher. And I know you have a lot of important things to tell the moms out there. Absolutely, Colleen. I am very happy to be here. Uh, I've had my, my own struggles in my life, so I'm happy to be giving back in this capacity. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Yeah. And so I know that you have a book that has just come out, and it's called Break Free of Chains, How to Help Your Child Recover from Pornography Addiction. 
And so why did you write this book? I wrote this book because there's a great need for it in the marketplace and people do not have access to these kind of resources readily available. I scoured the internet prior to uh, writing the book and there's very limited information on what parents can do if their child has problematic use of the pornog of pornography. And I have uh, intimate knowledge of the recovery process. I uh, work as an addiction therapist, so I have professional training and then from my own personal recovery um, from psychological dependency on pornography. I, I have successfully done that. So I know the steps that are needed to overcome pornography dependency. And I have a lot of experience counseling families um, and parents on to how they can run a better household so everyone has more peace. Uh, and their needs and preferences are met. So I have uh, the counseling experience and then my own um, experience from recovery. I know I wanted to give back to the world. Um, and this is, that's, this book is just, it's a manifestation of that. And you're also um, really big in yoga, aren't you? <laughs> I, I have, it's, it's, um, it's helped me recover a dedicated uh, practice to yoga and meditation has been one of uh, the most important things in my recovery. I, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now um, if it wasn't for my practice of yoga and meditation. So I'm ultimately grateful for um, my yoga teacher that took me through the training uh, teacher training process. And I'm thankful for all the good people that I've connected with since practicing yoga, because that has also been uh, very important in my recovery is connection. You know, connection is the uh, anecdote for addiction. So I, I talk about that um, in my book, connecting with one's higher self connecting with the child, allowing them to connect with nature and the community resources that are needed to significantly increase the likelihood that the individual recovers. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Your book was really eye-opening to me. And mm. a lot of the stuff you talked about, I really had no idea. I love that you took kind of a wider lens of looking at where we are in the culture one of the things you said uh, is that in the U.S., pornography is considered a public health crisis in 15 states, which is alarming and then not surprising at the same time. But can you talk about, this was just, it was just so disturbing, but can you talk about commercial sex and what that is and the connection between pornography and human trafficking? Yeah, I, I can do. I'm not an expert on this topic, but obviously I've written about it enough in my book and I know about it because this knowledge helped me recover. So this is like a, um, a cognitive way of overcoming addiction. I'm a big believer in bottom-up forms uh, such as the butterfly hug and uh, bilateral stimulation, but this particular technique is cognitive. So we're working with the thoughts and how those affects behavior. And I knew, uh, so I've been practicing yoga for 10 years. 
I, I, I eat a plant-based diet and I, I'm values driven. So I'm, I'm driven by the values behind that. So I, on, on the one hand, I was like eating vegan. And then on the other hand, I was viewing this material that I knew uh, I felt deep down inside was not aligned with my values. So I just started typing online like waste. This was like uh, in 2016 and, and before that. Um, but then I found no fab and fight the new drug. And they are community resources out there that shed the light on the harms associated with internet pornography. And so internet pornography is a form of commercial sex and commercial sex is the exchange of a sexual act for something of monetary value. Um, sometimes drugs are exchanged for it as well, but anything that is exchanged, sex that is exchanged for something of monetary value is considered commercial sex. And so the connection between the pornography industry and commercial sex is that, I mean, there is the things where like the pornographers use pornography to condition the victims and the survivors of that by normalizing the abuse. Another way that pornography is integrally linked with human trafficking is that the uh, demand for commercial sex, the demand for pornography is so high that the market cannot meet the demands of what people are looking for. So that means what is the solution to that? That is reduce and eliminate the demand. And so yes. that's how um, overcoming pornography, we can all do our part by not engaging in behaviors that contribute to human trafficking. So it's not like Melissa Farley, I just watched a video recently, Melissa Farley is an academic researcher um, into the, the harms associated with pornography. And she's saying like the pornography industry and commercial sex and human trafficking. It's not like they're ones over here and ones over there and ones over there. They're like all integrally connected. So when I learned this, I was just like, this was a huge motivating factor in me overcoming my addiction because I mean, that's, that's a bad thing. I don't want to participate in that. I, my intention is to have healthy self-esteem and be a man of integrity and sexual integrity. Right. And so knowing that, I, I, I can't, I have to do something about it. I have to tell people that I'm slipping or I'm, I'm relapsing or something. I have to talk with a trusted person about that because it gives me cognitive dissonance. So when parents know that the pornography industry is connected with human trafficking, it's uh, just all that more motivation and that drive because, you know, as parenting, it's, it's, it's really challenging um, to be a parent and a caregiver, especially like you talk about the hormones of adolescence and being hardwired for disruptive moods and that sort of thing. It's like, yeah, with all that going on, it sometimes can be challenging to stay focused on the things that you really want to teach your child. And this is a challenging thing to bring up. Um, but once an individual becomes aware that it is linked with human trafficking, it just gives the person motivation and inspiration to do the thing that which is right. If someone is being exploited and I know about it, 
then it's my opinion that I need to say something about it because if the roles were reversed, I would want someone to speak up for me. Right. You're right. I think for parents to be able to educate their teens about what's going on in our culture and Uh, also about really what messages the pornography is giving about towards women. You go into that in your book about the violence and aggression towards women, the misogyny. And so I think that's really, really helpful in a way of educating probably mostly your sons, maybe some daughters, but how should parents react if they find out that their teen is using pornography? And I've seen in my practice as a therapist, I've seen these two extremes. Like on one side, you can have a parent overreact and think like, I have the worst kid ever and it can feel like the end of the world. And I think the other extreme is to be like really just kind of dismissive about it and just say, you know, boys will be boys. So Mm -hmm. what would you say is like the appropriate response? So it all comes down to core values. What's, what are the core values of, of the family and what do they value? And, and I talk about this in my book. It's like if a family values equality and they are in the parent or parents are dismissive about, like you were saying, dismissive about uh, laissez-faire with regard to no regulation of the internet and uh, not taking a stand on pornography, then it's saying, if I say I value equality, but I'm permitting this thing that goes on that violates equality, is that really living out my values? So if someone really does value equality, then I think it's part of their responsibility to address that situation within their family. So I I can't push my values on, on anyone else. But, but there's consequences, you know, if they're taking that dismissive attitude, like addiction and not being able to relate with, uh, you know, another partner, a live partner or a friend, those are going to be consequences. Those could be consequences of not intervening when pornography is used by the adolescent. So if the individual truly values equality and healthy relationships, it's in my opinion that the parent address it in a kind and compassionate way, like flying off the handle or being overreactive uh, to the situation is not going to help the situation. So I think just like curiosity, asking from a curious point of view about what is going on instead of like shame and guilt forms of intervening. That's on the opposite end of the spectrum of what I'm teaching and what I'm guiding through. Right. So this non-judgmental approach, being curious about the situation, and also some tips and pointers is like, as a caregiver and parent of a child, we need to take care of our own stuff because any of this stuff around sexuality or pornography, if we have any hangups about that, that could potentially come out when we're parenting and and giving guidance to children. So we want to make sure like our stuff is taken care of. And I know that may be some, uh, it may take some time to do that, but that's the eventual like end goal or not end goal, but that's one of the steps that need to be taken for, for addiction to be resolved within that family. Because in therapy, as you know, like we talk about addiction as a, a family endeavor. Yeah. So I agree with that. And I think, I think the moms who are listening, you are going to have a big reaction 
And I would just say, take some time to become educated, take some time to, to kind of get centered yourself before you just react to them. Because this is a, a big issue. How do you talk with your child about the harms associated with pornography? And how early should you start talking to them? Because I've seen like sixth grade girls get hooked in pornography because they were searching for Barbie or something like that. And these porn sites would come up. So what would you suggest? So, so again, this is per family. I'm a big believer in that the, the parent or the two parents need to come up with a game plan on, on their own. But how early do you think? There's, there's a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. And I think that can be as early as eight years old. So, so I think that's the beginning, right? When the ego is formed right around the age six, seven, eight, that's the beginning of the conversation is that there's good things on the internet and there's bad things on the internet. So then the next thing is there's naked people on the internet and they're doing things that aren't nice. And then the conversation goes into uh, the birds and the bees and that sort of thing. And the parents have to be the one to decide at when age, what age that is going to be. But this is an ongoing conversation. So when, when is the earliest age? I don't know, six, six to nine years old. But again, if they're hearing about these things in school, ideally it's really best for the parent to be talking to their child about sex, drugs, rock and roll, pornography, all that sort of stuff before the influence of their peers gets to them, the influence of the parent, that can be the most powerful influence in the child's life if the parent wants it to be that way and makes that dedication of spending time with the child. That will always be preserved if the intention is there and the intention and the parent knows how to pull off their intention. I like what you're saying about really talking about it from a developmental perspective and starting around that age makes sense to me. And because I know another girl who was in middle school, probably around sixth grade also was exactly what you said. A group of kids were talking about vibrators and she didn't know what those were. So she Googled that and then kind of got hooked into some stuff herself. And, um, and that's why it's like, as a parent and a caregiver, I would just think that the parent wants to be the first person or one of the first people that they talk to their child because then they can instill the values. And that's what's so- That's um, a good point. So harmful about internet pornography is adolescents are learning sex positions and all these sort of different things. And they're not seeing the value. They're not seeing the whole full experience of it. And it's like, if, if you want to instill the values, whatever they may be, religious or secular, spiritual, whatever the values are, instilling those, your child is going to adopt those values when you're the first one to bring it up and you can bring it up in a, uh, a more of a neutral setting. Because by the time they're talking about vibrators and pleasuring themselves, there's uh, hormones are involved. Like you talk about hormones. Like if it's just okay, we're going to put this on the schedule. Next week, we're going to have a conversation where we're going to listen to you and we're going to explore this idea. Like it's going to take so much more root and the child is going to internalize it. Mm -hmm. So it's an ongoing conversation. But when, when you're asking about what age, 
it's like the regularity of it. So it's ongoing. And then as they become uh, older in age, then the conversation can have more details and more explicit if it needs to. If they get it from a young age that internet pornography violates family values and there's nothing advantageous that comes from it and it's never questioned or it's never like um, it's just adopted immediately, then maybe the details that are, are not appropriate for young children, maybe those never have to be brought up because it's already been internalized. Is this making sense? Yeah, yeah. Yep. So can you talk about why dabbling with pornography is still risky because of the progressive nature of pornography and how teens are even more at risk with their immature brains? But I've seen internet pornography be referred to as digital heroin. Yeah. And I've heard it referred to it's stronger than cocaine. Mm. So again, this isn't scientific fact, but, but it's food for thought. And the reason it is so dangerous, if you will, a high risk behavior for adolescents or for anyone under the age of like 35, uh, it's a high risk behavior because the dopamine gets released in the brain. There's, so it's called super stimuli. Like cocaine and heroin are considered super stimuli, but internet pornography is considered super stimuli. So the the performers that appear, whether you know voluntary or involuntarily, in the pornography industry, they have bodies that most people do not have. So a lot of times people get very aroused on these synthetic images of people. And so we call this a super stimuli. So this side of sort of stimuli does not occur in nature. Um, Statistically speaking, um, like performers in the pornography industry have exaggerated body parts. Is this making sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, So it's super stimuli. And with super stimuli, there is a massive amount of dopamine that is released when someone is using uh, gambling or internet pornography per se. So when that continues to happen, the individual loses drive and motivation in their everyday life. This is my opinion. That's why it's so dangerous is because there's this massive amount of dopamine that is released on something that is nothing is accomplished. Like no real goal is achieved like with lovemaking and having a relationship and connecting with the person that's an accomplishment relating with a person and and being a loving person or accomplishing a goal or writing something or creating something that is a a natural goal so when we we achieve that goal a little bit of dopamine is released and we feel good and we want to keep doing that Except if addiction is present and we've deleted the mind of all the dopamine because of a a super stimuli or uh, something that does not bring about any accomplishment, like we've burned our receptor sites out and the release of dopamine does not happen when we're having a conversation with a loved one, when we're sitting in the grass and we're feeling the air, wind blow by our skin or whatever these things that produce 
um, small amounts of joy and are pleasurable, they no longer become pleasurable because pornography has has hijacked the mind and has released all this dopamine. So yeah, that, that just leads to instability as an adolescent, and it's harder to learn, and it's harder to concentrate. And adolescents, they need all their cognitive skills for being able to like regulate their emotions and connect with people and regulate all the new hormones that are going through their body. And if they're using internet pornography, they're deleting the feel-good chemicals, mainly dopamine, out of their mind, and they're significantly decreasing the likelihood that they're going to be hitting the appropriate um, developmental milestones. Right. And so, yeah, so then the person who gets kind of addicted to that pornography, cocaine high, so to speak, they can from what I understand, the progressive part is that super stimuli starts to not be so super, and then they can keep taking more risky behavior to keep achieving that super stimuli, right? Absolutely. That's the part that violates people's morals and their values. They're watching. It's not even sex. It's not, it's literally like verbal and physical abuse. And so people graduate to more intense or more taboo forms of pornography. And it's like, sometimes the part pornography, really taboo forms of pornography, that's not the end of the road. But yeah, if you wanted to go there, there's other forms of like sex addiction and sexual exploitation, buying sex workers, and then that involves the criminality. Our, our sex offenders, they're, they're generally like, all of them have a pornography addiction. Mm. As a parent, what should I look for that could indicate that my child or adolescent is using pornography? And what are some things that make teens vulnerable to addiction, to pornography addiction? And I've like worked with a couple of college boys who got hooked into pornography addiction. And really the trigger for them is having really bad breakups with long-term relationships with their girlfriends. What should parents be looking for that would indicate that their child or adolescent is using pornography. Yep. So, so a lot of these things are similar to drug dependency. So social isolation, you know, I'm going to name multiple things like seven to nine things at some right. point before I finish mm-hmm. this response. Um, so it's not just like one or two of these things. We're looking for a number of these characteristics. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm going to go through some of them. So social isolation or social withdrawal. And these are especially is if, if your child had a pattern that was different um, prior to whatever is going on. Um, so a disinterest in friends or activities that were once interesting This is another uh, symptom that adolescents who are struggling with uh, substance use, they also present that as well. Uh, Another indicator is sudden changes in mood, which can include uh, depression or anxiety. And again, if this is, if it's always going on, then that in and of itself um, would not indicate it. But if if your child is happy-go-lucky, and through over a month change, they become very withdrawn and they have a depressed mood. That's something to check in a little bit more, uh, look into a little bit more. Imitation or modeling of inappropriate behaviors, especially inappropriate sexual behaviors. 
Things as simple as hygiene, not taking care of showering, brushing teeth, also like taking a device to the bathroom could be an indicator that there's something going on. I heard one of your recent podcasts where one of the, the guest speakers was saying how it's probably not in the best interest to have uh, devices that aren't used at the table. And so that is part of what I uh, recommend in my book is having rules like the device can only be used in the kitchen or uh, the den or the study or the living room because a lot of this stuff can be prevented by just having rules that benefit the family. If, uh, if your child is online through all times of the night, a lot of night use can indicate pornography use. Increase secrecy. So this is another one. Increase secrecy. If you are coming up on your child and he or she or the child is um, switching the screen immediately or you approach your child and then they seem very anxious or very nervous because you approach them and you're just walking in your house, but they get all anxious or they try to cover their screen, that is definitely an indicator that something could be going on and definitely warrants further investigation. The cookies and internet history, if there's no cookies on your hard drive and there's no browsing history, that uh, might be considered a red flag. That would be something to check into. And again, these are conversations that you have. Hey, I was poking around on the computer and I noticed that there is no uh, internet history on that. And our internet browser, it keeps the history on there. So someone had to delete it. And, th and that's why I'm like, I coach in such a way of being curious because if, if my child hears like, my anger or my upsetness through my voice, then it's probably not time for me to address it at that time. I need to let that frustration or anger go before I can really hold space for my child so uh, they can talk to me freely about it. But again, if there's no internet history, that could be an indicator. But again, that's a point of entry. So a couple of these other things like blatant disrespect of girls or women after that not being the case. So as a parent, what can I do to help prevent my child from using internet pornography? And then kind of probably a follow-up question is how can I monitor my child's use of the internet? So those probably go together. Yeah, they, they absolutely go hand in hand. I recently got this question, is putting a filter on my child's internet all that I need to do to, to help prevent this or increase the likelihood of success with whatever. And it's not just about the technology solution of the monitoring software. So as you read in my book, it's very much about building your relationship with your child and cultivating trust uh, with your child because the monitoring software, yes, it provides a technical solution, but really technical solutions are really gonna work best when the parent is coming at it from a heart-centered way. So like parental software monitoring apps, they can be used as to like, oh, this is just another way to get you in trouble. Um, I'm gonna be watching, watching what you do. 
And it's just another reason for me to give you a hard time. If that's like the MO, then that's, that technology solution is not gonna be very helpful in building a healthy relationship. So, so I think spending time with the child, listening to the child, not shaming the child if they do have um, use of internet pornography. Uh, yeah, the technology solutions um, such as, as Bark and Net Nanny and Covenant Eyes, so many more that I'm finding out um, because of doing this work and getting, getting the book out into the world. So it's two-pronged. There is solution, there is technology solutions, but ultimately like it all has to do with coming from parenting as a heart-centered. Yeah, I, I like that because I think it's holistic. There's some technology, yeah. like you're saying, that can be super useful. But I think what you're saying, it's not, it's one approach. It's one prong of a multi-solution approach. You know, I think if you don't have kind of this multi-prong approach, then I think kids can tend to hide their pornography use. Is that what you see in terms of why kids hide their pornography use? I believe that the ultimate reason adolescents or people hide um, pornography use is because deep down inside, they know what abuse looks like. And even if people aren't talking as candidly as we are, or as I do in my book about that, on a deep level, people know that when someone is abused physically or emotionally, that that is not okay. And participating in that is not good, even though it's been normalized and people can cover that up. Like I believe deep down inside. So, so I think that's the first thing is people know that this isn't a good thing to view. And then there's uh, another part, why, why might an adolescent hide this? There could be some shame and guilt issues around sexuality, um, maybe implicitly um, from the family or any other community that they may speak of or that may be present in the child's life. Um, so that can definitely be present in families that are involved in religion. Um, but again, a spiritual foundation um, can be really helpful when addressing this situation. So it's just like, as a parent, as a caregiver, we need to be coming at this, uh, at this situation from compassion, because the more compassion that is involved, then the child feels more okay with discussing the things that he, needs, he or she needs to talk about to be healthy and to be able to develop healthy relationships with other people. Yeah. I'm curious if you know any of the statistics in terms of like high school boys and their inner and pornography or high school girls. Do you have any statistics around that? I saw recently that like, you know, 88% of adolescents, male adolescents, 40, um, age 14 to 18, have viewed pornography. And so, so then it gets just, it, it gets into a technical question of like, what are they considering pornography? How much are they viewing? And all these sort of things. All I know is all, all the, the adolescent males um, that come in for counseling for me, they all have a pornography addiction as well. The reason I bring this up is I think 
in terms of you bringing up compassion. Yeah. Is, is that this isn't just your child or like bad parenting. This is a huge cultural problem. Pornography is really easy to access today. And a lot of teens fall into pornography, like these two girls I was talking about, before they even know what happened. And so your child is not trying to be a bad kid, but it's just easy to get hooked. And I think that is a way we can think about it as parents to have compassion and that they, that we have a really important part to play in our child's life in terms of, like you said, instilling values and maintaining connection and educating them. And so in that way, that's the way we can step up and have compassion for our teens. So what kind of questions can you ask your child to find out if they're using pornography? My point, my, where I'm coming from, is not to ask directly, do you use pornography? My thing is to ask questions around it. So, so again, this would have to be age dependent but I can see talking with uh, an adolescent about this. Do your friends and you talk about internet pornography? What, what do you guys think about that? If one of your friends is using it, where did they use it? What, where did they get in contact with it? So just create a conversation around it and then listen to your child and then reflect back what your child is saying. Because when your child knows that you're listening to them, when the child knows we're listening to them, it helps build that trust. And so they can say a little bit more about the topic. So another question would be, has an advertisement for pornography ever popped up on the computer when you were working on a paper or doing something else? That is another gateway into it. That's great. Yeah. Because if you ask them directly, they'll say no. And then the the conversation is just stopped. So why don't families talk about pornography use? 88% of mainstream pornography portrays verbal and psychological abuse on women. If it was okay and it was healthy for us, there wouldn't be this, in my opinion, there wouldn't be a stigma around talking about it. Because if it's really healthy, then we should all be able to talk about it in uh, a community setting as something that brings some sort of value to society, but it doesn't. The truth is, is that the pornography industry, it, it leeches from humanity. It leeches from all the performers. It leeches from the people that are viewing it. It leeches the soul of the pornographers. So it's a complete leech on society. So that's where I'm coming from, and I'm driven by faith. How do you address the situation where your child is using pornography? And maybe that can segue into some symptoms of pornography addiction. I think the first thing is, again, in my book, I talk about processing my own stuff. As a parent, as a caregiver, I need to process my own stuff. I need to engage in self-care. That's always the first step. And then the second step is... Building the relationship, I talk about that building, spending time, uh, having trust. But then it comes to creating that conversation around pornography. It's kind of a linear thing. Once I've taken care of myself, I build into the relationship, and then I kind of create this conversation around pornography. 
and then I talk about family values, what is important to us, talk about the harms associated with pornography use, talk about how viewing pornography violates the family values. And we're not even at use yet. So it's like we've created all this momentum. So when the time comes to reveal it to the child, that accountability is going to be involved moving forward. It's not, they're not caught off surprise. So I'm not saying do this in one night. This could be a month process of getting the momentum, you know, of getting to the point of pornography use. Hey, there, we have evidence on the computer that someone's using pornography. How, how, do we, how do we talk about that? So building up that momentum. So when the time comes to say, hey, how did this get here? The child already knows where you're coming from. You're playing a little bit of catch up, but again, it's, it's your child. You have the ability to connect and love and to raise your child however you see fit. And these are gonna give you tools that are gonna help you do that. So you have more peace uh, with inside of yourself. And so your child is more likely to be successful in their personal and pro professional affairs. What resources do you have or you could recommend to the moms out there? Fight the new drug is a really good resource. It's science-based ways for recovery. They run a website called Truth About Porn. If you want to look at the science of how harmful it is to the mind and uh, to emotional state and just learning and motivation, that is a great resource, truthaboutporn.org. NoFap is a really good community of... And that's... Uh, N-O-F-A-P? I'm sorry, yes. N-O-F-A-P, yes. So that is a good resource for, for adolescents and adults in recovery. And there's also, we mentioned uh, the Good Pictures, Bad Pictures is a, it's a storybook for children to introduce them to the, it's a good conversation starter around pornography. Okay. And there's a junior, junior edition for, for adolescents. Okay. And do you have any final words of wisdom? I, I just feel for you, um, for, for the moms and the parents who, who have a child that struggles with pornography addiction, I, I feel for you. And that's why I wrote this book. I've experienced uh, this affliction. And I know if I can recover, that recover is achievable for all people. There's just three things that are needed. So the motivation, your child has to be motivated to do it. And then honesty and accountability. And that's why I wrote the book because if a parent wants to see himself, herself that way, that parent can provide that gentle and compassionate accountability, which is gonna give your child a much better chance of recovering. So this healing journey that we are all on, it may seem challenging sometimes, but there is nothing more worthwhile than going on this path of self-healing and assisting uh, your child in doing that. So keep it up. Great. So how can the parents contact you or where can they find your book? Thank you. So my website, ChristopherBeaker.com, Christopher, B-U-E-K-E-R.com is a good reference point. Uh, my email address is on there. My cell phone number is on there. 
Uh, my blog is on there. There's a contact form. Break free of chains, how to help your child recover from pornography addiction. It is available uh, on Kindle and a paperback version. My book, Break Free of Chains, can be purchased on Amazon.com. And my the paperback version is going to be available. It's available in select libraries and universities in English-speaking countries. The best place to get it is just Amazon.com. Break Free of Chains will pull it up. Christopher Beaker will pull it up as well. Okay. Well, this is an intense talk that we're talking about today, but it's needed. And I hope, moms, that you're listening, that you will feel like equipped, empowered, and less shame if your child is struggling with some pornography or if you have just found out that they have been using pornography. So Christopher, thank you for your time today. This has been very, very helpful. Uh, thank you so much for having me as a guest and to all the mothers and individuals that struggle with addiction, my heart goes out to you. So many blessings. All right, thank you. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and give Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my best-selling and award-winning book, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, A Guide for Mothers Everywhere. You can find that and order it online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And you can always find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com, two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.